You know, it's interesting. We, we live in a world that's full of fears. There's some interesting ones that are out there. I like this slide. If you guys look at this, some of you um, are not particularly interested in having a spider in your hand, and that would be the fear of arachnophobia, right? Um, maybe you have the fear of heights, acrophobia. My wife uh, we went somewhere yesterday. I didn't say this in the first service because she was still here, but we went somewhere yesterday where we were at a place where there was height, like you had to climb this tower, and she was not interested, and she had about 50 excuses as to why uh, she wasn't going to do it, and I know her well enough. We've been married for 20 years. It's because she hates heights. I mean, they just kill her. Uh, there's other fears, the fear of needles. Some of you have that. It's kind of hard to even see it up on the screen for some of us. And um, some of us, that, that picture in the corner, claustrophobia, the fear of confined spaces, that's, it's hard for us. We have lots of known fears. There's other fears that you might not have heard of, like um, pogonophobia, the fear of beards. Um, anyone have that? I think it's funny when you see a great beard with a mask on top of it. It's like billowing out. I think that's awesome. Or the, um, the fear. This one's a hard one to say, so forgive me. But it's arachibutiophobia, which is the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. Uh, anyone want to confess to that one? None of you have that one. How about arithmophobia? I think you can figure this one out. The fear of numbers. Some of you are pleading that to get out of your math homework this week. I know I'm starting to sound like Lucy in, in the, um, the Christmas, Charlie Brown's Christmas movie. Um, but uh, there's a decidophobia, the fear of making decisions. Some of you have that. You're trying to figure out where you're going to go to lunch today. Um, this one's probably pretty real. No, nomophobia which is the fear of being without your, your mobile phone, right? So some of you like reach out and touch yours right now, right? That's a thing, right? The fear of losing your, or being without your mobile phone. Some of you think of people who have that around you. There's, there's a truth that's, that's very biblical, and that is we do not have to remain in fear. We do not have to live in a state of fear. The word phobia comes from a Greek word that, uh, could range from having a, 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 an uneasiness about the future, um, or it could be uh, so far as to be a, a, just a pure paralyzing fear, uh, a, a shock, a, a terror that's associated with what's ahead. Suppose we, we know what it means to live in fear, but there's this wonderful phrase in Isaiah 41 verse 10 that that I think describes for us where we can find our hope. I love the source of hope that's represented here. It says, fear not for I'm with you. I can't, I can't help but help believe that the Apostle Paul, when he walked into Corinth in this scenario that we're going to read today, that, that these words were not in the back of his mind. Fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That right hand is strong. That, that the Lord knows the pain of our circumstances. He knows our fears, our diagnoses, our, our challenges, the lost job, the situation that we're in. And somewhere along the line, I think that you and I might have forgotten the fact that, that the Lord not only knows it, but that he desires for us not to be paralyzed by fear. And we see it around us. You know this. I have friends that, that this would articulate their response to the circumstances of life right now, that they're paralyzed. And today what we're going to see in God's word is that he's not only aware of our pain, 
but that we don't have to live in a constant state of fear. But it's not because we have the strength ourselves. And that's such an essential point this morning. It's not because of our strength, but do you see what it says in that passage of scripture? It says, his strength is sufficient for us. His mighty right hand protects us. I love this in 1 John chapter, um, 1 John chapter 4, 18. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts away fear. The only place I know where there's perfect love is the love that the Lord has for you and I. And in the midst of that perfect love, we, we can kind of stand back and see the Apostle Paul and say, can the Apostle Paul really understand our fears today? Does the God of the universe really understand our fears today? And I say with a resounding yes that he does. He understands the things that would cause us uneasiness or stark terror but he also understands the solution for that fear. Some have described fear in, in helpful ways. I found this, Seth Gooden says this. He says, fearful anxiety is re-experiencing painful failure in advance. It's an interesting statement, isn't it? That, that an anxious mind says, but, but I won't be able to handle it. I won't be able to handle it. I won't be able and, and that pain falls down. As so I was praying with the family this last week and their daughter said something that was meaningful to me. She, I was, we were talking about not having fear in the midst of a difficult diagnosis. And, and she said, Sean, you know what fear is? And she said, it's an acronym, false evidence appearing real. <laughs> I think that's what, what happens for some of us. False evidence appearing real, that we make something that's potential to be something that we replace with truth. You know, today we have to, to be un, uh, clear in our minds that we're not just aware of the problems that are here in Brunswick or Medina or Medina County, but through technology, we understand the problems of the world today. And, and, and through technology, when we sit, sit at the feet of news and, and see what's going on around the world, it can just be devastating for us. I, I've had multiple friends recently say, I've just had to learn how to turn it off for a little while because of the fact that I'm overwhelmed. And the reality is that some of that is a result of our situation, that we understand the pain of the world. God understands the pain of the world, and he offers for us hope in the midst of it. You may have heard the story back in 1892, D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, was traveling from London to New York. He was returning after some great um, revivals that he was a part of, and he was on a ship called the Spree, and as they were, they were crossing the Atlantic, the drive shaft on the spree broke. It put a hole in the hull of the ship, and the ship began to sink. His son was on the boat with him, and he uh, declared, Dad, we're going to die. It's, it's going to sink. And they watched the bilge pumps try to keep up and couldn't keep up, and, and it looked really like the ship was going to sink. And in desperation, they called with the radios until the radio cut off because the electricity um, was lost. And they shifted away from traditional shipping lanes so there's no one to find them. And Dwight L. Moody describes this in his own words when he says the officers and the crew did all that they could to save the vessel. But it was soon found that the pumps were useless for the water poured into the ship too rapidly to be controlled and then we lost electricity. There was nothing more in the power of man to do. The ship was absolutely helpless. And while the passengers could only stand still on the poor, drifting, sinking ship and look into our possible watery graves, after several more days, he, uh, Mr. Moody said that he entered into what was the darkest hour of his life. Now, he'd experienced persecution, he'd experienced pain at this stage in his life. 
he had experienced also the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, what he says then, the darkest hour of his life, and yet he found peace. Now, biblically, we call this peace, the peace that surpasses understanding. He experienced peace, and he says, I could not endure it. I must have relief, and the relief came in prayer. God heard my cry, and he enabled me to say, from the depth of my soul, thy will be done. And then a sweet peace came to my heart. Let it be Northfield, which was his destination, or heaven. It made no difference now. I went to bed, and I fell asleep almost immediately. I never slept more soundly in all of my life. Out of the depths, I cried out to the Lord. He heard me, and he delivered me from all my fears. Isn't that great? He fell asleep, right? Like he, he was in the midst of this horrific experience. He was convinced that it might take the life of his son and his own life, and yet he found himself able to rest. Some of you can't sleep right now. You've shared that with me. Some of you are so filled with anxiety and fear about what tomorrow's going to bring. Here's what Moody said. He said, I can no more doubt that God gave answer to my prayer for relief than I can doubt my own existence. God heard his cry. The watertight compartments on the spree kept it afloat. She was eventually spotted by another steamship that moved and towed it into port. And what's fascinating to me, and this is the thing that grips me with all of this, is that there was one life that was lost on that boat. And it was a person who had given up that they were so afraid as they watched that ship sink that they jumped overboard out of fear. I don't know what your story is this morning. The Lord does know your story. But what we can accept is there are some people who are choosing to give up these days. The anxiety is too real. The pain is too great. The frustration is too, too real. And in that discouragement, they're missing out on what we're going to see five different ways the Apostle Paul is going to look to the Lord to be the source of his hope in the midst of very difficult circumstances. Here, what we see is that giving in to fear in this historical event cost that person his life. Giving in to fear can cost us everything. But, but the first point this morning that's going to flow out of just the first verse in Acts chapter 18, verse 1, is fear not when you find yourself in difficult circumstances. God is with you. The first verse in Acts chapter 18, verse 1 says this. It says um, that after this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. Now you read that and you say, what's the big deal? Well, Corinth was a notoriously debauched town. Some have said that if you, um, you could take ancient Vegas, Tijuana, Amsterdam, and Bangkok and mesh them all together on a coastal town, and that would be what was Corinth. That it was historically known as being a place that was sexually immoral, hedonistic, um, it was a place that, to be to Corinthianize, had its own characteristic of the grossest worldly debauchery. And, and what was complementing that was the fact that it was a coastal town with thousands of people coming and going through it each day. It was a massive city that offered some version of anonymity. When we say massive in ancient times, it was 20 times larger than the city of Athens at that time, which it held about 200,000 people. And so the myth that was there was that through this Aphrodite temple, the next pictures of this, of the temple to Aphrodite with its thousand temple prostitutes, that it offered some kind of freedom of expression of sexuality that was a myth and a lie that communicated that sexual intimacy could come from anonymity and separate from the provision of God in the confines of marriage. And here 
It offered this to a world. And there was also the myth of anonymity that was offered to those who'd enter into that city. So Paul walks in. His friends aren't with him at this point, and he steps in. But, but the Apostle Paul understood something, and he began what would be the, the response to God that so many faithful leaders have done through centuries in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the name Moody. I love others that are faithful men and women who've gone before us, who chose to not conform to the pattern of this world. There's a pattern of the world. Corinth was famous for it. And here, what the Apostle Paul chooses to do is to understand this statement, and we all need to hear this today, that just because others say that I can do something does not necessarily mean that I should. Just because others say that I can do something doesn't mean that I should. Paul was anonymous in that city that day when he stepped into Corinth, and it was one that was sex-saturated. I think for some of us today, uh, you're kind of like me. I, I, my, my pastor in California, when I was a youth pastor, I shared with him how frustrated I was for students today that, that get exposed to so much online and just the prevalence of things like pornography and other things. And he said, um, you know, historically it has always been challenging to be a Christ follower. And he said, if you were in Corinth, you would understand how challenging, especially in the area of sexual intimacy and God's provision for it and the corruption of it, that it was around them at every turn. And yet what we accept is in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says that there's no temptation that is common to man, that the Lord has provided for us an understanding that temptation, the temptation to fear, the temptation to give in to the things of this world is just common, but it does not define that we have to submit to it. The Apostle Paul didn't. So here, the Apostle Paul finds himself in a really difficult circumstance, but God was with him and he chose to submit to God's will in his life. And for some of us in the midst of times of great anonymity, we can find ourselves choosing to ignore the foundation of the truth that God has provided for us. When I was at Cedarville um, as a student, I w was a student body chaplain, which meant that I had the privilege of speaking to the entire student body on Fridays in our chapel. It was great. I really enjoyed it. Uh, but one of the things that comes from that when there's a couple thousand students is that I lived in a state of accountability everywhere I went. It could be Walmart a couple hours away. Actually, I visited a friend, Cedarville's south um, up here by about three hours and visited a friend up here and bumped into a Cedarville student that was uh, just at the Walmart here. And it just reminded me, all right, I'm in a state of accountability that's really helpful for me. But when I graduated from Cedarville, went to Israel to study God's word. And uh, it was an awesome trip. Um, was planning on going with a friend from school. And uh, on that first day that I was there, he decided that he wanted to do his own thing. So I'm alone in another country where no one knows who I am. There's zero accountability. Even though I was there to study God's word, uh, what I realized was that there was going to be a ton of freedom for me. And I can just remember this thought that went through my mind. And it's one that's probably worth us all thinking about. And that is in the absence of accountability, who is it that I am? What, what, what am I? What are my convictions? What is the passion of my heart? And, and what I ended up doing there was get, I got connected through a Jewish rabbi, of all things, to a Messianic Jewish congregation um, that was there. And it turned out to be one of the most incredible experiences of my life, worshiping in this, this kind of underground church in, this, in the city of Jerusalem. And there were believers that had come from all over the world, some in North Africa, South Africa, that had gathered together. And when we worshiped there, you could feel the presence of God in that place. 
And what encouraged me so much about it was that these were people who'd made the same decision that I had, that they were, many of them, transients, but they've just said, you know what, I want to connect with people or who are going to be life-giving in my life, that are going to hold me accountable and push me on to the things of the Lord. And, and we see this in the Apostle Paul. The second point this morning is, fear not when you feel isolated, for God is with you. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul did. He he chose to pursue believers in the midst of this time where he was anonymous. Verse 2, it says, And he found a Jew named Aquila. Now, when it says Jew there, uh, we know Aquila and Priscilla, a man and his wife, are going to be um, companions for the Apostle Paul in ministry going forward. They're probably believers at this time, were former Jews from Italy. And, and now they, they come together. They're both transients and they come together and they connect together. They work together and they experience the kind of community that God has designed for us to have. It says, and he found a new Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy and his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And when he, and so the apostle Paul went to see them. You know, the expulsion of Jews back in AD 49, 50, the, the historical documents that surround that say that there was this, this, um, this man, Christus, that was causing all kinds of trouble. And, and I think it's interesting, like last week when we talked about the gospel turning the world upside down, or uh, better yet, the gospels turning the world right side up, that that this name, which was probably the Lord Jesus Christ, is causing such chaos uh, in a good way that it's disrupting commerce and people are changing their lives. That They understood it as a sect of Judaism, so they kicked them all out. Isn't that crazy? But the end result of this is this diaspora that happens ultimately leads to this man, uh, um, this man Aquila and Priscilla to gather together with the Apostle Paul in this debauched city of Corinth and yet what's going to happen is that they're going to find family there. I love that the Lord invites us to join him. Psalm 68, 5 through 6 says this about our God. He's the father of the fatherless. He's the protector of widows. He's God in his holy habitation. And he settles the solitary in a home. I love that description. He adopts us. He invites us in. And he's designed you and I to be people who thrive amidst the kind of community that he's designed for us to have. And so instead of waiting to be pursued by others, what the Apostle Paul does is he pursues others and he finds these two sacred believers, these precious believers that are going to be his companions in ministry. Paul finds, Paul finds that at this time in history that his funds were running low. Uh, that, that it was a time where um, he wasn't sure where the resources were going to come for ministry. And what he does is really encouraging. And the, the third point this morning is that uh, he rolled up his sleeves. He got busy. And, and we ought to be people who fear not when our resources are running low because God is with you. You know, God is not ignorant of your true needs. In this case, the Apostle Paul found that uh, there was a gift that was coming that would fund his ministry, but it hadn't gotten there yet. So what he does is he rolls up his sleeves. He gets his hands dirty. He goes back to something that was familiar from him growing up. In verse 3, it says, And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them. He worked for they were tent makers by trade. And he re reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and he tried to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. In other words, he, he continued to work and God provided opportunities for him to meet his physical needs. Uh, tent makers is probably better to think of this, not like uh, some of us who have a tent in our, that we 
uh, rough it in once a year where we put it in our backyard with, you know, with the extension cord going out to it, you know. Uh, this, this kind of tent would have been made with leather. It would have been hard, heavy work. It would have involved sewing. It would have been uh, probably more like the maker of leather goods. And here, this, this man who God was going to use to be a mouthpiece for the gospel was also willing to get his hands dirty. It's funny, when I was in seminary, wasn't sure how I was going to pay for the seminary and uh, moved to Texas and ended up getting a job. I was, uh, uh, did room service at a hotel where I did the graveyard shift and uh, the Lord provided. It was an awesome job. Later, the Lord provided an awesome scholarship for me. And when Allie and I got married, he provided a great job for her. But, but each step of the way, I just feel like the Lord knew exactly what we needed. He understood the provision that we had. And sometimes it comes at our own hands. So, so when Paul ran into this need, it wasn't that God had forgotten his need. And some of us in the room feel that right now. Whether it's this, this, this wrestling that we have with our retirement, wrestling what we have with our current employment, whether it's just wrestling with, with God's, God's provision or what feels like the lack thereof, I just want to encourage you to fear not. The Lord understands our needs. He understands when they lack. And in this case, what happened in verse 5, it says, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, what we know is they carried with them a gift. There was a, a, a special provision for him. And I think it's helpful for me to remember that God often likes to address our needs, even the financial ones, in unexpected ways, in his timing. In other words, he's just not ignoring them. So for some of us in the room, we're struggling with God's provision, but it it does not mean that God has stopped providing for us or ignores them. This leads us to the fourth reminder that we do not need to give into fear. Fear not, brothers and sisters, when life is full of discouragement. God is with you. It says this um, back in the text at the end of verse four. It says, Paul was occupied with the word. He was testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus and when they opposed and reviled him, those are hard words. What he ended up doing, they're so frustrated. He, remember, had, had experienced great persecution at the hands of the Jews. It says he shook out his garments and he said to them, your blood be on your own heads. This is a really real moment in history. This moment in history would have been a time where there wasn't fruit in his ministry. He was discouraged. You can hear it in his voice, the way that he summarizes this. And he says, I'm innocent. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. You, you, you see that it, it feels as if the Apostle Paul was ready to give up. He's clearly discouraged. It shows it. And, and we can relate to that. At times, some of you have shared wrestling with coworkers, friends, siblings, your children, that you're wrestling with um, on behalf of the gospel, that it sometimes just has no apparent fruit. But the Apostle Paul, while he had cause for discouragement, he did not choose to give up. And I think it's important for us to understand that God wants to teach us how to keep moving forward even when we're exhausted. The, the description in the text, it, it goes on to describe this. So he left there. He went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was right next door to the synagogue. You get it? His way of giving up was to just go next door and work with the guy who happened to be the former leader of the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. You guys, that should make you celebrate. 
that even in the midst of discouraging times, that there was, it was right on the edge of a production of fruit that was going to be just a bountiful production of fruit that was going to bring glory to the Lord. And here, it looks like he's discouraged. He doesn't give up at all. He goes next door. He keeps moving forward. If you come to my office next door in the building next door, there's a wooden yoke that's up on the wall. And and I just love this passage. It's there to remind me of this truth. In the, the book of Matthew, chapter 11, verse 28, it says this. It says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me. Take your yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I love having that on my wall because it reminds me when I come to the painful circumstances of my life and ministry, challenges, being a dad, all those things, husband, that, that the Lord is not distant from my circumstances, but he's co-laboring with me through each step of the way. And that image of us yoking together is that he's the power of the equation, right? Like he's got this. He understands where we're moving. I'm learning from him what the next right steps are. And he's mighty and powerful. There would have been a tangible illustration of the way that God can do incredible things, unexpected things in the city of Corinth at that time. In the, the city of Corinth, they understood the fact that the quickest way between two points was a straight line. And if you look at the map, it's interesting uh, because the, this Achaia area, the Ionian Sea and the Aegean Sea, um, that, that would have been a long trip around to get to the other side. And what they would do is that they, they have the historical, historical description of the Diakolos. This was a paved trackway near Corinth in ancient Greece, which enabled boats to be moved over land across the isthmus to, the, um, to, to Corinth. And so what they would do is they would take these massive boats, they would put them somehow on carts. We don't even know how they did it, but what we have is historical records of them moving 50 ships at a time, 100 ships at a time. Boats that were designed to be on water. You can see in the next picture, a, um, they, now they've cut a canal through that area. But they would, they would take these massive ships and they'd move them across. And they were so successful at it that it impacted the outcome of several wars because they could do this so quickly. But I, I loved when I read that, this, this image of the Apostle Paul sitting in Corinth and seeing this happen every day, moving across this, this ancient paved road and I just can't help but picture the fact that that's what God does for you and I. Picks us up, moves us along, even in ways that it feels like we weren't even built for this, but that he's good. He's providing for us. He knows our needs. The three and a half mile gap was not too great for their ingenuity. And in this case, when he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is, is light. He's saying, we got this together. This movement next door to the synagogue would have been God's handiwork at its finest. And then finally, probably my favorite, the fifth point this morning, is it okay to say favorite point? I think so. Is, that, is this, fear not when you are under attack, for God is with you. Here, these people were out for blood. They were so frustrated with the apostle Paul. And it says this in verse 9, it says, and the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid. It, it, like we've been saying, fear not, but go on speaking and do not be silent. I, I think it's appropriate for me to say this to you, church. We, we need to be people who go on speaking 
and are not silent these days. That there's a hope that we hold dear. And here, the Apostle Paul was told by the very voice of God in a vision, do not silence your message. He says, for I'm with you, like we've been studying, God's with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. It's a fascinating statement. He gives him this vision of the fact that he's going to be protected. And that vision would carry the Apostle Paul from giving up there in Corinth to remaining for the next year and a half to declare the truth of the gospel there. Verse 11, and he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. And people believed. His message was powerful. God's hope was given to others. Verse 11, and he stayed after months teaching the word of God among them. But then Gallio, who was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack. So, so they brought him before the tribunal, bringing the apostle Paul saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. So once again, the, the word for this is the bema, the, the judgment seat. The, these individuals were drawn, they draw the Apostle Paul in front of the judgment of this, this secular, non-believing leader of the town, Gallio. And, and here, the Apostle Paul has something that I hope and pray is each of our stories. And that is that he just trusted the Lord, that, that he didn't have to live in fear. I think this was Mo Moody's story. Like there's a storm that's raging around us. We're floating. What's going to happen here? Well, it, it says this in verse 14. It's almost comical that, that Paul was about to open his mouth, uh, probably to defend himself. And then what happens is he doesn't even have to. Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or a vicious crime, oh Jews, I'd have reason to accept your complaint. But since it's a matter of questions about words and names and your own loss, see to it yourself I refuse to be a judge of these things. So, so Paul, like the text implies that he was getting ready to defend himself and God showed his mighty hand in such a way that he didn't even have to. I, I hope this for you, church. I hope this for you, friends. For those of you who are living in fear, remember that that, that anxiety is something that hasn't even happened yet. It's for something that could happen with potential. And and there's an ability for us to just misunderstand. God has not forgotten you. It's kind of ironic, but I want you to catch this, that, that in, in God's word, it talks about us fearing God. And it's important for us to understand when that says, he's saying revere God, understand him, understand his control, understand his awesomeness. And this fear isn't the anxiety-laden fear of a person who's running from God, but instead, it's, it's the fear and reverence to a God that can do this kind of thing. That he can make a pagan be a defender of the ambassador for the living God. That's encouraging to me. That humbles me. And, I, and as I see this, it says, it says but, the, but this matter, it's going to be on you guys. And then they do something that's, that's unusual, unexpected. It says, they, the Jews then seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and they beat him in front of the tribunal, but Gallio paid no attention to any of this. It's fascinating to me. So, so Sosthenes is described at this point as being the ruler of the synagogue. Later, we're going to see a man by the name of Sosthenes that becomes a believer. We have, we have no idea what this event really was characterizing, 
But what we do know is that it's, it's even possible that the Jewish leader of the synagogue, the one who brought the accusations at some level, the one who's beaten because he probably didn't do the accusations sufficiently enough to get Paul condemned, would be a man who would later be called Brother Sosthenes. Church, it's important for us to remember the Lord's in control, even when things feel out of control. For those of you who are struck by anxiety and fear in these days, I want to remind you that the Lord is our refuge, that he lifts us with his mighty right hand. And, and, and there's this, this ability for us to think back on that day with Moody on that boat, the spree. And, and that for each one of us, especially during the pandemic, especially during the chaos of our lives, especially during these times where we may wrestle with God's physical provision for us, his financial provision for us, our, our needs that feel great, the wondering if he's abandoned us, neglected us, feeling isolated and alone, some of us from our families, that in the midst of all of that, there's a, there's a choice that's put in front of us. One that D.L. Moody modeled and the Apostle Paul model, and that is to be able to rest on the rock, right? To be able to trust that the Lord's good. And, and I will tell you that when I read that description of the, the peace that led to him being able to fall asleep on that boat that day, that I have experienced that in my life. I've experienced that when there were painful diagnoses. I've experienced that when there were times where the circumstances felt bigger than what I had the capacity to handle in my own life. And I believe that it's possible for us, even in the midst of, of very difficult times, for us to find peace. But there's, there's some that are going to allow the deceiver to steal, kill, and devour in their life. They're going to allow themselves to be whipped into a frenzy in such a way that their anxiety defines them. And I can't help but think of that person so many years ago on that boat that they, they said there was a prayer meeting that happened that D.L. Moody led. Uh, and I can't even imagine how cool that prayer meeting would have been. Uh, but that there was a person who, who ignored that, ignored what, what the options were, and decided to, with anticipation that the boat might sink, give everything up. Uh, to, to lose everything on behalf of what their fears would be. That's, that's a win for the deceiver who wants to steal, kill, and devour. And so for some of us in the room today, I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. I don't know what the phobias are that define your life right now, um, but if you are finding yourself under the pressure of phobias, under the pressure of fears, under the pressure of things that might make you want to give up, I just want to remind you as we sing this closing song that the Lord is your mighty right hand, that he lifts you up. He's co-laboring with you through the circumstances of your life. He is not deceived about your circumstances. He's not saying that they're not difficult. What he's saying is together we can have this. Together we can get through this. Together there is hope. And so together we pray before the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And we pray that, that today in our lives, that if there's anyone in this room that finds themselves paralyzed by fear, for, for some I, I know that that fear is from an inability to reconcile with past mistakes, past failures, um, past discouragements, the inability to believe you that as far as the east is from the west, so our transgressions are before the eyes of the Lord. 
In other words, they approach their sin from a man perspective, from a woman perspective, from a worldly perspective to say, how could anyone forgive me for the great things, the failures that I have? God must be punishing me today with those things. And I just pray for them, Lord, that you, the one who prepares us for the path ahead, not necessarily the path ahead for us. In other words, you give us what we need. Lord, that today, on this morning, that they would hear your calm, powerful, mighty voice say, fear not, for I am with you, says the Lord. Lord, thank you for being our ever-present comfort in our time of need. Thank you for being our good physician. Thank you for being our Prince of Peace. And this morning, we thank you for the fact that you can move us from death to life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.